Here we are. What's up, y'all? Just want to make sure. Yep, this is all good to go. What's up, everyone? It is uh, Wednesday, March 16th, 2016. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, looks like we're having a little bit of some technical issues. Those will iron themselves out. Um, today on the podcast, we will talk about, of course, all the big news surrounding MMA free agency, uh, Nate Diaz's post-fight comments about being disrespected. Um, there is, in fact, a UFC event this weekend, Frank Mir versus Mark Hunt. That's kind of interesting. Um, we had World Series of Fighting this past week and Invicta, if you want to talk about that. But really, whatever you want to talk about, whatever the big picture, small picture stuff that's on your mind, get your questions and comments in the MMA fighting thread where this video is posted, and I'll get to them the best that I can. Uh, comments that turn green get priority, but not exclusivity. And um, yeah, follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. Give this video a like, share it on social media, any place you can. Uh, and and uh, I'd really appreciate that. Okay. Um, no need to get any further down in the weeds. Let's just go ahead and get this started, shall we? Of course, I have to find where the hell the window is because I've got 75,000 of them open. All right. First question. All right. McGregor's next opponent. Can you discuss who you'd like it to be, who you think it will be, and which is the smartest fight for McGregor to take? The smartest fight would probably be probably be Aldo. Um, I believe he's already declined any kind of Diaz rematch. I don't know why. I don't know why there's even a little bit of talk about a Diaz rematch. Uh, he lost to Diaz on 11 days' notice, even if he recalibrates his weight a little bit, which, again, if you listen to some of his coaches' comments, the weight may have not even been a factor. If you lost to Diaz on 11 days' notice in less than two rounds, it's not going to go well for you at all um, when he gets a full camp. That's a really bad idea. Okay, so uh, maybe in the future at some point, but not right now. So that leaves you Aldo and Edgar. Um, to me, Aldo is the better fight um, for him. Um, people are like, what could you really lean, learn in 13 seconds? I mean, look, in some sense, it's not a whole lot. He did overcommit early. He made a mistake early. But um, there's not a lot of cases where someone gets stretched like that and they fight again at some point later and the result is dramatically different. Um, you know, lots of fighters I've talked to since then have just said, you know, Aldo's not really the same anymore doesn't have the same kind of hunger, hasn't really fought the same kind of ways he did back in the WEC, you know, um, is willing to just let guys off the hook if it means he doesn't have to exert as much energy or as much force in a fight. I don't think that's going to really go well for him against McGregor. I don't think his chin is gone necessarily. I mean, he took a clean shot there, but I don't think his chin is as awesome as it once was either. So, um, the and Edgar's been hit a lot too, of course, but Edgar is super hungry for that title. I do think that makes a difference in approach to the game. Um, and just the nature of the game itself, the things he can do where he can mix it up. Now, he can get – McGregor can lay out any of those guys. But um, to me, the tougher fight for him for sure is going to be the Edgar fight. And really, it's the one he should take, though, because that's the one that matters. That's the one the fight fans really want to see. That's the one he hasn't had yet. No rematches, no fights outside your weight class. Everyone was like, oh, he cleaned out. By the way, what's the point of staying there? And I, you guys heard me say it on this chat. Just because you make it to winning a title doesn't mean like the, the race is over. In many ways, the race is just beginning. Now, it's true that he had gone through a number of the top contenders to get there. Uh, and so the immediate 
choices about what to do absent the Edgar fight weren't abundantly clear. But now it is pretty clear. Like now the rematch down the down the, the line could make sense. An Edgar fight makes a ton of sense. Um, I don't think a, a Max Holloway rematch is in any way crazy if he keeps doing what he's doing. Um, even a Mendez one, if he, he can somehow get back on the horse. And this, of course, all presumes that Edgar holds on to the title, which, as we can see with Holly Holm, is a very, very difficult thing to do. By the way, I have no more diet soda. I haven't given it up all the way, but it's just straight up H2O for your boy. If you're asking if I'm sleeping better, the answer is somewhat yes, but not enough. I'm still waking up with headaches. It's a mess. Um, you gotta, you got to reign over a division. You have to, like, hold a title. It's one thing to earn a title. Holding it is a very different matter. Two very different phenomenons. Frankly, I think the more exciting part is the guy rising through the ranks and then grabbing the title. That, to me, is always the most exciting part of a guy's career. But not always. There can be intermittent moments where holding the title is even better. Um, and he needs to go and hold it. Let's see if he can. There's a big open question about whether he can, you know. So we'll see. National feuds. Luke, throughout the history of MMA, there have been countless heated rivalries between fighters from the United States. But for some reason, there haven't really been any notable feuds between foreign fighters who hail from the same nation. So, for example, just about all the fighters from Brazil seem to respect one another and are united by a sense of national pride. But the same doesn't seem to apply to Americans. This is evident after watching UFC Unstoppable Press Conference, which had a slew of U.S. fighters taking verbal shots at each other. Question, why are there so many feuds among American fighters? And so few between foreign fighters in the same country. Well, that's simply not true historically. Uh, you can go back and you can look at the Luta Livre versus Jiu-Jitsu battles in Brazil in the 80s and 90s. Um, there's been any... No nations will always find ways to divide themselves. It's just that, look, the UFC can say what it wants about itself. It is a U.S. company. It has a global reach, but it's a U.S. company. And so I think a lot of Brazilians feel like when they compete there, even if the show is in Brazil... They're doing it together, but that doesn't mean there's not internecine squabbles um, and, frankly, violence between the two. I mean, M MMA wasn't on was had a down period in Brazil because of uh, violence on television as a result of people acting crazy at an event, right? So this idea that this is like a uniquely an American thing is I mean, maybe you might be more pronounced among Americans. Maybe I might be willing to believe that, but it's not. It's not nearly to the extent you're describing it. Uh, all kinds of nations have these have these kinds of things. But it's more than that. Like, for example, when I was working for Glory briefly, you'd have to do these fighter interviews, and they would bring these guys in. And, you, you know, you'd be bringing in tough guys, man, like really like good fighters, not just good fighters, but like tough people. And you'd ask them about their opponent, and they just didn't view prize fighting that way. Like, these are the same guys who have no problems fighting teammates. It was a bit of a cultural thing in that way where you'd get these Dutch guys in, and the Dutch guys are, frankly, in my opinion, the worst about this. Again, I'm not making comments about them personally. I'm certainly not making comments about them as fighters. But as uh, individuals, they would come in and, and they'd say the exact same thing one after the other. You know, I'm going to go in there. He has a good punch. I'm going to make a good fight, and we'll see what happens. Like, every one of them would say, I mean, we'd sit there for four hours, and the Dutch guys would all say the same thing. And maybe it's because those are the only terms on which they had thought about it uh, or even care to talk about it. And maybe if um, MMA wasn't so much of a, maybe if MMA didn't need to be so much of a, of a spectacle to sell, you'd see less of it here, 
right? But you've got McGregor mouthing off. He's Irish, although he's sort of, I'm told, even by the Irish standards, very unique in that regard. Um, you know, and also here in the U.S., uh, there's a bit of more of a microscope. If you live here, you sort of get a sense of um, what it takes to get more attention in a ways that you might not appreciate if there's a language barrier or something like that. But, you know, rest assured, um, the rest of the world is filled with people fighting in their congresses. I am quite comfortable in saying that uh, whatever squabbling you may see among American fighters, there might be more of a pronounced effect, but it is there's probably good reasons for that, and I don't think they are entirely cultural, although to some extent they might be. You guys are also sort of blinded a little bit by a lack of history. Uh, about, for example, Brazilians notoriously prefer not to fight other Brazilians outside of Brazil. Maybe in the modern era, in the UFC, but, um, you know, I mean, back in Japan, the Brazilian top team versus shoot-to-box days, trust me, they had no problem squaring off against each other. Loved it. Relished it. This is all a very new thing you're dealing with here. There's a big, big history of the, and then even even then, how about um, Kazuo Masaki versus um, uh, Akiyama, right? The Grobaka hitman taking on this guy who was half Korean, half Japanese, who was believed to be not so much an imposter, but um, not an authentic one of their own. And then they had Masaki go and police the ranks of of purity there. I mean, th there's, I mean, I can list this all day. Um, there are plenty plenty of internecine squabbles uh, among other nations it's just a little bit more pronounced in modern days uh, here because i think frankly most of the media is american the company is american the majority of the audience is american um and so i think the american guys feel a little bit more pressure to up the ante but you know there's a real stunning lack of history in saying well you know the brazilians don't really do this are you kidding those are the most squabblicious people in mma All right, Justin Gaethje. Look over the weekend. The World Series of Fighting lightweight champion Gaethje improved to sixteen and zero with another victorious, excuse me, another vicious TKO victory. He is relatively unknown. Gaethje is quickly building a reputation as one of the most exciting fighters in the sport today. He also seems to be building a reputation for having some of the most punishing leg kicks in the sport as well. Brian Foster is known for his mental toughness, um, although he did get tapped within the guard of, <laughs> um, or he did, he got submitted from guard. From a head in our triangle, but okay, point taken. Having won the World Series of Fighting's eight-man tournament last year, which he did, although he lost in that same tournament as well. Yet it only took about six hard leg kicks from Justin to put him down. Just, uh, question, what are your thoughts on Gaethje's abilities and how far could he go in the sport? No one really knows with Justin Gaethje. There's a lot of different theorizations about it. Um, there's a lot of different guys saying, you know, you should leave his brawling to him because if you tried to fight like a really clinical fighter, it wouldn't do so well. I think there is some merit to that. Oh, I think there's a lot of things you have to refine. But the truth is he's fighting guys who are credentialed and veterans, but he's not fighting other elite guys um, in any capacity whatsoever. I mean, let's look at his his record, right? So we'll go to Justin Bieber comes up in my search first. How is that even possible? Uh, Justin Gaethje. By the way, I did a little research on something. You guys know how he was suspended for unsportsmanlike conduct? So I went to the um, website for the Colorado Boxing and MMA Commission, and I looked up all their rules and bylaws. Unsportsmanlike conduct is not even defined in the rules. It is mentioned in the rules. In other words, if it says, if a fighter does X, Y, or Z, um, or 
you know, does an act that is considered a sportsmanlike conduct. And then most of this was in the course of the fight itself, right? Like what, what constitutes a foul during the course of action, but like they never set out any guidelines for it. They never define it. They, there's, there's no regulatory apparatus around what it means to have unsportsmanlike conduct. Now they took down the punishment today or it expired today. seems like a relatively small fine. Nor am I really mad at them for finding him that they give him a warning ahead of time. He still flipped up the back thing off the top of the cage. This could be dangerous, but I just want to point out that like these commissions, they operate under the flimsiest of regulatory oversight, the flimsiest. They take these gigantic leaps. If you read at all, if you've ever read, for example, I'm reading a book now on a, I won't even get into the court case because it's just a high charge issue, but I'm reading about it now. And this is one that went before the Supreme court here in the last few years. The, the fine tooth comb with which lawyers go through it and try and get a very specific interpretation now because it has far reaching effects. But I just mean they're like, we don't even have a very basis of what the commission is supposed to be telling us is unsportsmanlike conduct. And I suppose if they counsel him beforehand, that should count for something, except that's not in the guidelines either. There's nothing in the guidelines about it. It is a term as if if you just change the words unsportsmanlike to an assortment of random letters, it would still mean the same thing because there is no meaning to it other than what you ascribe to it. And even then you, you're only bringing in what you know to be colloquially what that word means. It's insane. It's insane. But anyway, just engage you. His last wins, Brian Foster, Luis Palomino, twice. Melvin Gillard, that was a split decision back in uh, November of 2014. Nick Newell, and then, uh, you know, some names that have some value. Jacias Calvacanti, Brian Cobb, Dan Lazan, Adrian Valdez, Drew Fickett, but that was way back in the day, Rage in the Cage, 2012. Truth of the matter is, he hasn't fought anyone who could tell us that um, we have a clear sense about his ability. So what I would say is, if you want to believe that he can go really far, um, I have my doubts about it. I think it takes way too much punishment. I just don't think he's ever been called to task for it. But clearly, what he has done to date has worked, and um, he likes fighting that way. And I can see why it goes well for him. But, you know, he has taken – I mean, look, it's not magic. It's not science. No one is immune. It is science. No, It's not magic. No one is immune from the, from the laws of the universe. The guy takes a ton of damage. He dishes out even more. Okay, fine. Someone's going to make him pay for that. It's just, just that's how it's going to happen eventually. But that doesn't mean he can't go really far and beat really good guys and make a lot of money. Again, oh, here we go. Someone's asking about Justin Gaethje's indefinite suspension for excessive celebration. Yeah, again, what is, how does Colorado define um, unsportsmanlike conduct and how do they define excessive celebration? There's nothing. There's nothing in their bylaws about it. Nothing in their regulatory code about it. Pretty funny. You keep asking about UFC 200. If you had to put money on it, which fight do you think headlines UFC 200? And at this point, McGregor Edgar. I'm not sure what else could. Jones has got a fight coming up in April, so May, June. He could make a turnaround, but he would just be on the car. I'm not sure who he would face. I don't know. It's going to be, they got their work cut out for them on UFC 200. DC's next move. 
With Jones a clear favorite over DC, what do you predict will be DC's next move if he loses again? Retirement, move to heavyweight, or possible fights against Bader, Glover, Evans, OSP? Yeah, I'm with Rashad Evans on this one. You guys saw Rashad on the um, MMA Hour say if DC loses against Jones, he's probably going to retire. I mean, at that point, he'll be close to, what, 37? Um, he'll have achieved earning a UFC title. He's not going to go to heavyweight as long as Kane's there. Um, so what would he do? Just hang around and take fights? I mean, maybe he might do that to make some extra money, but certainly him as a title contender in, or, you know, someone to be thought of as a guy on that path. I think that would end if Jones, especially if Jones starches him, right? I think that would end pretty quickly. Uh, Chris Weidman with Mark was reported that Weidman would be working under Mark Henry. For those folks who may not know, Mark Henry is Edgar's boxing coach in preparation for his rematch with Rockhold. For years, Henry has been regarded to be one of the very best MMA boxing coaches, and he is largely responsible for the immense striking improvements of Frankie Edgar. Chris has a reputation of being very coachable and is known for picking up new techniques at a faster rate than the average fighter. So the question is, is there any reason to believe that Weidman will become more of a threat on the feet to Rockhold when the rematch goes down? All right, so I really hate this rematch. I just want to make that clear. I don't like this rematch at all. And... It's not to say that the rematch is bad in every capacity whatsoever. Um, if Weidman wins, it, 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 look, all of these matches, all of these fights, when you're a matchmaker, to some extent, it's a gamble. To some extent, it's an educated guess. To some extent, it's just trying to figure out what's what and make things happen. And, 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 you know, I know fight fans like to think they can predict the future, but no one can predict the future. Over time, when you're trying to think about 13 fights on every single card, you just begin to get lost in how difficult it is to map out the future. And so as a consequence, I think you just have to look at all these fights and say, um, what is the best educated guess in terms of the consequences? Um, if Weidman goes out there and wins and looks very dominant in his win, um, that will be the, the gamble will have paid off. You'll say, well, how likely is that? Well, Couture kind of spanked uh, Liddell in their first fight, and Liddell won the second one, and Liddell won the third one. The difference is, let's see. Pull up here, Randy Couture's record. Whoever wins the rematch is almost always guaranteed to win the third fight. Just want to point that out. All right, so we go back here. So, Randy beat Chuck the first time at UFC 143 in June of 2003. He then fought Tito Ortiz. He then fought Vitor Belfort, lost that, but that was like super quick on an eye cut within like, yeah, 49 seconds. They rematched, and he won. Then he fought Chuck Liddell a second time. This was coming off the Ultimate Fighter. That was 2005. So, two years later, Chuck worked on his takedown issues, and then the rest of it came to life. Two years later. That is a much better way to go about things. Six months, even with a new coach, I really don't know how much you can get. That is a very tight timeline, or seven months, whatever it winds up being. A very tight timeline. It's not a lot you can really get in that amount of time, especially now Weidman is not 26 years old anymore. She's 30, or even more older than that. Not great. Not great. I, it's not that I don't think Weidman can beat Rockhold in some general abstract way under certain different conditions. It's not even that I'm guaranteeing you that Weidman can't win. What I am saying is the consequences of him losing, given that there's really no one else in that field who you can really say can threaten Rockhold, means that Weidman becomes 
in a no man's land position where he can go up to light heavyweight, which would be interesting. But Jones is there unless Jones goes to heavyweight. But you get the idea. It's it's not a great position for him. And these immediate, re- I mean, you should do immediate rematches when it's close. I mean, everyone's like, well, this guy had seniority in the division. So what? So well, I'm not the biggest believer in that. I mean, sometimes I am, I guess, I suppose. I'm not like entirely discounting it. But the number one reason to do a rematch is if it is absurdly close or um, very close and someone, you know, maybe the right guy won, but it was really close. And especially if, if maybe the wrong guy kind of won and it was really close or if someone just gets outright robbed, right? I mean, that's 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 how you would go about it. But, you know, a fight that wasn't all, everyone's like, well, Chris Weidman won early on. I mean, sort of. Looked to me much more like Rockhold was anticipating it and just riding out the storm. And that Weidman was really kind of gassing himself. And once the takedowns weren't there, he was staying busy with the body kicks, you know, but I'm not sure how much effect they were having, at least not at the time. Uh, And once it got to the ground, it was like a disaster. It was a complete disaster. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not in any way guaranteeing that Wyman can't win. Um, he had a lot of factors going in that affected his performance. So did Rockhold, you know. But for me, they shouldn't fight for a full year. And and, and Weidman should go and get a tune-up fight. I don't understand this at all, man. Like, I don't. I don't get it. I don't understand. Tune-up fights work. They work. They they're great. They make sense. Give the guy a tune-up fight. Give the guy somebody he can beat, you know, to get back on his feet. There is a lot to be said for reminding a guy what a beast he is. There's a lot to be said for reminding a guy what it means to go in there and dominate. There's a lot to be said for uh, getting back on your feet and getting the technical things you're working on operating in in a real environment, even if it's one where you're expected to win quite widely. Those things have value. They have risk in MMA and more so than they have risk in boxing, which is why I understand promoters are hesitant to use them. But this seems to me a gross overcorrection. Again, look, this ent- what I'm telling you right now, this entire argument goes away if Wyman goes in there and wins. I am fully acknowledging this. I am not telling you it's a disaster. I am telling you it's a very, very major, serious gamble. That's not a, de- that's not a declaration of certainty, but it is a declaration that the consequences here of the gamble going poorly are quite real. And I don't like them at all, especially for a fighter as talented and as good as Weidman, who if given the requisite spacing between his loss against uh, Rockhold and uh, another chance to get at him, that there, there was a proper, they're, they're putting this much gap. There should be that much gap between them. Now I'll understand in UFC was operating on a different time in 2003. They had fewer shows. There was a more of a chance where you could just take time off. I mean, I get it, but I, I don't know, guys. I don't like it at all. I really, really don't. All right. Fantasy matchups. Okay. People like the fantasy matchups, I guess. McGregor Pettis. Um, let me say something about McGregor because someone brought this up to me. Uh, I think in my maybe my Monday morning analyst after UFC one ninety six. I don't know. Someone was like, "You should be more consistent about McGregor," and it is certainly true that I have been all over the map. If you guys have watched this, it's fine. Let me just say something about what it means to publicly declare your views and why that matters. 
it is very easy to watch this and say, I'm going to conceal my views. I am not going to, or at least I'm not going to state them in a public way. Um, I'll be relatively consistent about it. And in fact, you may have been consistent the whole time, one way or the other. I'm not suggesting otherwise. I guess my point is this. I've been all over the map about McGregor to some extent, and in many ways wrong about him. Sometimes right, but you know, not more often wrong than right. Let's put it that way. Um, because I've been very confused about him. The first time I saw John Jones, and it was a Goose Mao fight, right? And then I think the Bonner fight, and then beyond that, I remember watching this guy, and the first time I saw him, I was like, like a dog looking at a, you know, at a, uh, at a, at a slinky or something. I, you could immediately tell he was special. Immediately. Now, when I saw McGregor the first time, my thought was, he's good. He's very good. I never, ever thought he was bad. And I, I always thought, like, well, the guy is overhyped. I mean, well, okay, he might be overhyped in the sense that his hype might be insane, but he's not overhyped in the sense that he's bad. But I never got the same sense out of him. And then the guy kept winning and winning and winning. And I was like, well, maybe I just missed the boat on this one eventually. You know? Uh, and then he goes and he stretches Jose Aldo in 13 seconds. And I'm like, okay, well, I clearly missed the boat on this one. And then he goes in against Nate Diaz, and he looked quite pedestrian in certain respects. Still had the big trademark power. Still had the good movement early. Again, go back and watch the Monday morning analyst. There's a lot to like in that first round. A lot to not like. Um, but the Diaz performance for me was really helpful because I feel like only after that loss do I finally have a clear sense about the, the nature of his ability for the first time ever. And so as a consequence, sort of you know, all over the map on this, it's because in real time, I had a lot of different views about him. And I'm not going to get up here and tell you things I don't believe for the purposes of putting on airs about expertise or prescience. If I'm wrong in real time, I'm going to state it in real time. It is it, The vast majority of your ideas and my ideas and the things we say, they're not really interesting or, or correct. Very few times in your life will you ever have a really smart insight or really something very interesting to say. It's just the truth of the matter. Um, and as you work those out in real time, they're going to be problematic. So if you didn't like the fact that I wasn't consistent on McGregor, that's fine. You're not in any way obligated to. But I make no I make no apologies for it. I would rather be wrong and honest with you as I work things out uh, than to pretend I have a real clear sense about things and make a bold declaration because people like bold declarations. No, I was very unsure about them. And I'm, I'm, the, the Diaz win helped center things a little bit for me, I think, anyway. We'll see. But... I don't make any apologies for kind of being all over the map with McGregor. At least you knew where I stood. And frankly, how many times have you heard someone say, man, you know, on one week I was picking this guy and next week I was picking this guy. And Fight fans are being dishonest when they say, well, I knew from day one this guy. Okay, some of you did. Some of you knew either McGregor or somebody else that this guy was the guy. Okay, fine. But the majority of the time in a lot of matchups, we often sort of go back and forth a little bit in our heads. The difference is that we're not asked to publicly declare those things. And so I just want to make a point about this. Like, I'm never going to come up on here and just tell you things like that's about it when i don't i don't and if it was a blind spot that i didn't then it's a blind spot that i didn't it's just a, a, a way to um expose the 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 limits of my own imagination and insight that's fine there are limits to it i it's it's okay to be wrong <laughs> oh my god you were wrong we're, we're, we're mostly wrong creatures to be honest um we are ever so rarely right like truly right. Uh, I'm perfectly okay with that. All right. Rockhole versus Rumble. Ooh, that's an interesting one. Um, 
Hmm. I'll say Rumble. Uh, Cormier versus Jacare. Another interesting one. I'll say Cormier. GSP versus Habib. Boy, that's a tough one. Um, I need to see how Habib looks. Until then, I don't know. But GS, GSP's been out forever, too. Nate Diaz versus Aldo. I would say, I guess at this point, I guess I would have to say Nate Diaz, huh? Nick Diaz versus Pajares. Nick. Uh, Vitor versus Lombard. How is Lombard going to look? I don't know. Askren versus Maya. I would still take Maya. I like Askren a lot, uh, but I think Maya is on a different level when it comes to. He just had he just had more reps against better guys, you know. Gunnar Nelson versus Tumanov. Tumanov. Chad Mendez versus Barral. Mendez. Joseph Benavidez versus Henry Cejudo. I'm going to take. Uh, ooh, I'm probably going to take Benavidez in that one. Michael McDonald versus Cody Garbrandt. I will take McDonald. Best pure boxing in MMA. It seems like the overall opinion on which MMA fighter possesses the best boxing is constantly changing from guys like Edgar to Nick Diaz to Silva. Who do you feel currently holds that claim? I would say Edgar, for me, always has the best boxing. I don't see anyone who's got who does more with boxing than him and who does more with the fundamentals of it. Um, all the different components of boxing. Um, for me, it's him. But, you know, you can make a case. I mean, I had Richard Perez, the boxing coach of the Diaz brothers. He said both would be title holders if they went and competed in um, in, in boxing. And then you see a, a video on fighthype.com. Shouts to fighthype.com. had the Andre Ward video on there. Andre Ward was sizing Nate Diaz. Did you see that? That was pretty amazing, wasn't it? You guys should not take stuff like that for granted. For years, for years, and I made this point a number of different ways, but you can view it this way too. We are now living in the first time in human history where MMA fighters are more more popular and more dominant cultural forces, popular cultural forces, than boxers. That's a fact, okay? Not in every particular case, but generally speaking, they're bigger. Um, this has never happened before. And one of the ways in which that manifests itself is that I remember distinctly there'd be these major boxing fights. And we would ask MMA fighters for their opinions on them at various different intervals. Uh, or Dana White, when he used to do the scrums or something like that. And the, and the MMA fighters would weigh in. And sometimes it would trickle up and make news. But most of the time it wouldn't. Here you have exactly the opposite. Here you have Andre Ward, uh, who could not be a better third-party validator of the skills of Nate Diaz, being asked about a major UFC fight. It is so funny. It is so funny. If there is any great consequence to 2015, the rise of McGregor and Rousey, um, it's not merely that money was generated and that people, you know, eyeballs were on UFC. There has, uh, I don't know how you guys feel, and obviously Canelo is a major star on par maybe with McGregor and Aldo, if not just a tick under. He's certainly a very uh, important celebrity in that world as well. But, um, man, it just feels like, to me, the tide has turned a little permanently. But for the time being, amazing to see how the roles have reversed. It is amazing to see. I did not see that coming, truly. I'm not, and I'm not frankly sure after 2014 who did. What a turnaround. What a turnaround. But, you know, with the, with the absence of Mayweather and now the decline and eventual absence of uh, Pacquiao. Boy, Pacquiao's, I mean, departure from the sport could not be more ignoble. You're taking a retread fight against somebody who, even if they win, they don't get any boost off of you. Um, 
you're leaving saying awful things about homosexuals. You lost your Nike sponsorship. You didn't show up in the Mayweather fight. Wow. He is. I mean, he's had a distinguished career, no doubt about it, but the end of it has been, ugh. Um, but at any, anyway, with those two guys gone, and Canelo's certainly been on the rise, but then, you know, Cotto's aging, Margarito's there anymore. Mosley has certainly been gone for a while. Roy Jones Jr. is just off doing whatever he's doing in Russia. Um, you know, you have Andre Ward out there. You have, um, you know, we'll see what happens with Triple G. Um, there are guys out there. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, but it's just not the same. It's really not the same. All right. I'm so glad someone's asking about this lack of tapping. First, I must again praise Julie Kedzie for her superb work <clears throat> as a technical commentator for Invicta. You know what? Shouts to Julie, and I mentioned this on Twitter. Shouts to TJ DeSantis. I remember when TJ DeSantis was doing nothing but, uh, I think, some terrestrial radio in Minnesota and some work for Josh Gross at, when he was hosting the beatdown on Sherdog almost like a decade ago. And I always thought TJ was pretty good. It was the best guys in the early era of podcasting were always the guys who came from terrestrial either radio or television, almost without exception. That's changed a lot since then as the nature of podcasts themselves have changed. But early on, Sherdog had a big thing about we we're going to be the, the leaders in MMA radio, and the Beatdown was one of their core programs. And I would listen to it religiously, and um, they were doing that over at MMA Weekly with um, you know Frank Trigg for a while. And and then slowly, TJ DeSantis just sort of kept at it, kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. And had done those Tachi Palace gigs and so forth. And finally, you watch him now on UFC Fight Pass. And again, I, I you know, and I don't think TJ would disagree with this. I think Mauro Ronaldo is the greatest combat sports commentator, not merely of our generation, but period. I mean, I, maybe you know Howard Cosell is going to get a lot of um, run for his contributions to Muhammad Ali's work in boxing generally. But I, I just don't know how anyone beats Mauro Ronaldo. Like to me, it's just a, he's a runaway freight train. Um, uh, you know, I don't particularly care for wrestling, pro wrestling, but he's doing that at the highest level. He's done kickboxing at the highest level. He's done boxing at the highest level. He does. He has done MMA at Pride and Strikeforce, if not the highest level, just a tick under that. Like, and does anyone think he couldn't do UFC really well? I mean, he would kill it. Uh, he is amazing. Marvinal is amazing. But in his absence, they brought on TJ DeSantis, and I have to say, I have been. Amazed is not the right word because it seems all too natural that he would graduate into that, but it's just really nice to see. It's really nice to see somebody who has, um, you know, kind of kept a bit of a quiet profile, but slowly but surely worked on their craft, worked on their craft, worked on their craft. And then when the opportunity came for him to take advantage of it on a bigger platform, um, they, they just own it. And TJ DeSantis has really done that, and it really deserves to be acknowledged. Now, on to the question. I watched Invicta 16, and something that caught my attention was that neither Andrea Lee or not either or neither nor neither Andrea Lee nor Amber Brown seemed to tap despite being completely caught in a submission hold. Uh, Andrea Lee did, I believe. She kind of like did one of these numbers, like had struggled struggled to tap. I've seen a lot of fighters glorify home not tapping out at UFC 196. I was wondering. Do you think there is a risk that especially younger fighters will see it somehow more fitting not to tap out on the semi-big stage? I find this entire debate or discussion, whatever you want, I don't know if there's much of a debate really, about tapping to be so ridiculous. <laughs> now, oh my God, it's like, let me understand this. 
we've got insanely tough guys in boxing who will put themselves through uh, unhealthy career shortening, if not outright career ending abuse in the name of the preservation of some phony ideal of toughness. We have over an MMA an escape valve to avoid that very thing because you can tap to strikes. St. Pierre has tapped to strikes. You go back and you watch that fight against Matt Serra. He tapped to strikes on that one. Okay. Uh, he's one of our best fighters ever and had a dominant rebound. This idea that there is anything wrong with tapping, either in a strictly jujitsu context or to strikes, is madness. It is madness. We should be celebrating fighters who tap. Now, not that we are celebrating their loss, not that we are celebrating their unwillingness to continue competing necessarily in that way, but that we have fighters who realize this tapping does not define my character. It does not. It does not. It does not. A lot of fighters feel like they're sending signals. I saw Matt Mitrion, a very bright guy, on, again, Ariel's MMA Hour, saying, well, the reason, the difference between not tapping and tapping is that if you shut the lights out and I don't tap, you know, you had to go and take it. Um, you didn't take it from me. I didn't, I didn't willingly concede. Okay, well, your brain overrode you, right? Your brain said, ah, no thanks. Goodbye. You're, you're, I have to, the adult in the room has to step in. That's what that is. Tapping is exactly what mixed martial arts needs. You need to give even very tough people an escape route. There needs to be, I'm going to get on my boat. <laughs> I am so confident in this boat. I am not going to put any life preservers on it. I am so confident in this boat. Well, turns out you might need some life preservers. Tapping is the humanity brought back to fighting. Humanity, uh, the fighting is a very difficult thing. It should be only be done at a professional and even amateur level in a regulated context by trained people with uh, lots of oversight and screens put in place. Okay. But even with that, we are frail, mortal creatures. We, we need to give these guys the ability to say, I've had enough. Because it turns out when you do that, there is plenty of evidence to suggest they can come back from it. If tapping were so gravely consequential that guys never got over the psychological damage, that they were never able to, from an image standpoint, repair themselves, then there might be a case to say, I don't know if tapping's in your interest. There is virtually, if you're, I mean, again, if you're done, right? Like, you know, the case of McGregor, there was maybe a little bit of cost to fight the hands, but not really. He was done. Especially in the case of home, you're done. Like it, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, you are done. It, it, it's in your interest, especially if it's a you know an, a, a arm manipulation or a joint manipulation. It is very much in your interest to say, okay, fine, you win. I'll be back though. I'll be back. There is it is it is a blessing that mixed martial arts has this, and it is a curse that boxing does not. Oh my God, uh, Roberto Duran said no mas. Good on him. Smart guy. He had enough. We like to imagine tough guys have this infinite capacity, either mentally or physically, for punishment. They do not. They do not. This is just a bunch of nonsense. These literary narratives, we ascribe characters in fight sports. And all of a sudden, when the humanity of it all comes crashing down, how could Roberto Duran say that? Oh, I know, because he'd had enough. Because even tough guys have enough. 
It, this is not a controversial idea. The, it, I understand why a fighter is going to disagree with me. A fighter is going to go out there and say, no, 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 there's a value to that. That's because they're super tough. Okay. But they may not know it. They may not agree with it, but they've got their limits. And plenty of guys who have gone out before have also tapped before, even to chokes. So there's a bit of like hypocrisy all the way all the way around in some of these positions that people adopt. There's nothing wrong with tapping if you've had enough, either from strikes or from a submission. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing shameful about it. There's nothing harmful about it. And in fact, it is probably the best way to be able to say, I'm going to get back on my feet and try this again. A tap is almost motivating in a way for the right person who is psychologically in the right space. You say, you know what? Okay, you got me. Checkmate. Fine. Checkmate. But I... I I am, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, okay, take one. Let's try take two. That's often what the feeling is after a tap. So this idea, like, I'm just going to hold on forever. Look, I admire your toughness. I really do. And this is why those guys do that. And you and I don't fair enough. But even those guys are kidding themselves a little bit when they say, um, there's no real benefit to it. And really without any kind of pressure on them, this little like social pressure we put on them, this community pressure about not tapping, they would do it much more freely. They are they are not exercising their right to do it for appearances sake. We are giving them this. The, the last thing we should be doing is stigmatizing tapping. The last thing we should be doing. These kinds of safety valves are what's going to allow the sport to continue in a much more healthy and positive direction for much longer. There is nothing wrong with tapping and the fight sports that have problems with it are the problems later on down the road you don't want guys holding on for longer than they're willing just to uphold a code of honor that is insane that is insane you can admire the toughness of it wow it's super tough that is insane you want guys who have had enough to be able to say as much there is no shame in one super tough person, lady or guy, fighting another super tough person, realizing they've outmatched and they want to preserve themselves and just saying no more. Of course, you want them to exercise and push themselves to the limit. Okay. Well, if they've hit that limit and they're just going on because they're just going on and you're in some state like Oklahoma and you've got donk referees, now you're trusting this poorly trained referee to save this person? No thanks. No thanks. Give them an out valve. Do not ever stigmatize someone tapping. If someone taps, you congratulate the winner and you bow to the loser and you say, you'll have your next day. And that's it. That's it. You have to preserve the humanity in fighting in some capacity or another. And we have a perfect, easy escape valve that fighters should be able to use. Do not take it away from them. All right, Rockhold versus Jones and Jones versus Velasquez. Uh, I'm assuming John Jones. Jones has been verbally wanting, excuse me, Jones has been verbal about wanting Team Jacksons to be recognized as the best team in MMA and has showed interest in moving up to heavyweight. Is it possible that we see Jones take on AKA's Rockhold and Velasquez if he manages to defeat DC once again? I don't know about going to 185 unless Rockhold comes up, but the Velasquez fight seems possible. I think he fares against Rockhold. Who do you think has the advantage in striking submissions of cardio? Uh, I think John Jones is the best fighter on the planet. So sort of answers that question. Lucas, a native New Yorker in New York. Can you imagine how excited I was when I saw last night 
that the assembly was finally going to vote on. Let me move this computer. All right, you have to move my head around because of this microphone. Was finally going to vote to legalize MMA in New York. If you know anything about that assembly, they only vote blah 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 blah. If it does pass, can you take a wild guess where I will be in November? Although I do think that the UFC would be way more successful here at upstate venues, such as the Carrier Dome, which holds fifty thousand. So the question is. Is there any inside information that you can tell us whether it will be from people in the UFC about the confidence that this bill gets passed? Um, as I recall, it's part of the governor's budget, so it's almost a certainty it will pass. Um, let's talk about that for just a second. And I'm with these questions a little bit quicker. People being like, oh, I don't really care that New York legalizing MMA doesn't really affect my day. Again, we've talked about this before. The UFC can go around um, in spite of New York if they wanted to. They could do an anti-New York I mean, they could never go to New York and it wouldn't really affect their business. It's not the point. The point is um, not merely that the UFC has invested all these resources and they want to see it through to the end, right? The sort of mission accomplishment. But I think more than that, the and we have fans have battled this. Do You can't fight every fight, right? But do not let um, bad ideas go unchallenged. And there's nothing about the legalization or, 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 excuse me, the lack of legalization in New York that is anything but founded upon a motherload, in the words of Sam Harris, of bad ideas. There's nothing about that. You cannot let them do that. It is the principle of the matter. It is not the efficacy. It is not the practicality of it. Practic- practically, in that sense, no, it doesn't matter. It is the principle. It is the principle that the largest media market in the world is not going to get to ban MMA for made-up reasons. For, you know, whatever dispute that they might be having. The, 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 the issue of whether it brings tax revenue or whatever the case may be, it won't change anything. That's not the point. But being virtuous is its own reward. And there is a virtue to the argument about legalizing MMA. So seek that through. Or I shouldn't say see, see that through, excuse me. Push that all the way to its final conclusion. Because that's what it's really about. It's really about um, these people in power pretending something is true about the world and it's not. And it's about not letting that go un, uh, unchallenged. And I, I actually see a great deal of value in that. I don't see a great deal of dollar signs. I mean, yeah, they'll generate big numbers in Madison Square Garden and stuff like that. But um it's it's much more important than that. It's it's about it's about the virtue of it all, and that is priceless. I'll sneeze here in just a second. True false. Ferguson beats Habib. If not, why? Man, again, I've said it a thousand times. I just don't know what Habib's going to look like when he comes back. If he had never lost any time, maybe not. But. Nate Diaz versus Robbie Lawler gets booked. False. Rory Mack re-signs with UFC. I suspect that he will. Luke Rockhold destroys Weidman. I don't know about destroys, but I like his chances, certainly. Cejudo goes five hard rounds with DJ, loses. True. Rogan re-ups with UFC. I don't know. Benson loses in Bellator debut. Not to Koreshkov. No chance. Well, not no chance, but, you know, low chance. Uh, Gadelja... Gadelia and Janjacek at the Unstoppable Presser. Were you at all surprised that Gadelia and Janjacek seemed to get one of their bigger reactions at the Unstoppable Presser, considering all the talent there? Nope, not surprised at all. 
You got a champion that the hardcore fans love. You have a, her number one challenger, basically, person who arguably already beat her. Um, you know, there's a lot to like there. Uh, Ronda's return. What do you make of Ronda getting back to training after Misha won? How do you think the fight three goes between the two? I still like Ronda's chances, although how she looks after that layoff will be interesting. But, um, yeah, like if you – so, I mean, I should have put it out on Tuesday like I said I was going to. But just give – if you got a few minutes, just give the Monday Morning Analyst for this past week a bit of a look. If you go back and you watch that, because I finally went through all the grappling scenarios that were involved, um, it was just a major differential on the ground in skill. And the difference uh, a lot of times, here's how you understand jiu-jitsu. It's a very easy way to simple, simplify things. When you're, when you're, and also this is partly from skill differential, can, can exacerbate this. But in jiu-jitsu, basically, first you learn to survive, then you learn to defend, and then you learn to attack. That's basically how it goes. I mean, there's obviously some differences there, but more or less, right? A very uh, famous black belt told me that one time, and it always kind of stuck with me. When you go back and you watch uh, Holly Holm in that fight, what she's mostly doing is surviving. A little bit of defending, but zero attacking. But then when you look at what Misha Tate was doing, she wasn't doing particularly sophisticated stuff. Um, technical, fundamental, all correct. She wasn't doing sophisticated stuff because she didn't need to. Um, and, and the way in which she got home to the ground, there's just different techniques that I don't think Holm was prepared for. Uh, it was a lot of uh, controlling of the of the of the two different spaces at once. We, we went over that in the Monday Morning Analyst, um, but I don't know how any of that changes the dynamic between Tate and Rousey in terms of the grappling f- differential on the floor. And on the feet, what did Misha Tate really do? She would land seven or eight significant strikes around. The only round she landed double digit significant strikes was round two. She rounded, she landed only eleven. Well, that was round two where she took home down at the 430 mark of the first round like there wasn't like it wasn't like she has improved like what the if you're asking me like what is impressive about misha tate's performance it was that patience was the most important one timing um the preparation she landed both off of holly holmes left cross both takedowns one the second one the fifth they both came from a right left cross under the left cross that's it that's what it comes from and they both came on that lead leg of uh, home which would be the outside right leg that's what that's where both of them begin to skip off of uh in the in the second she goes for the double unders gets it and does the outside trip and in the fifth she goes and grabs the waist spins in a corner blocks the outside foot and takes her around but there's nothing in it that tells me that that's how what does that have to do with rousey you take rousey to the mat she's still gonna beat you with arm bars probably and on the feet you know it wasn't like she had a whole lot for holly she was losing on the feet so i mean I don't know. To me, the big question here is, I mean, has Tate gotten better? Of course. Of course. Um, so maybe she takes it all the way to, to five. You know, maybe she looks a lot better. But, like, ultimately, how many times does Rousey need to get Tate to the ground before she submits her? For Tate and Holm, it was only twice. Probably going to be more for Rousey, but I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't see how that changes much at all. But, look, MMA's crazy, right? All right, some true falses here. John Jones wins by stoppage. Oof, boy, that's tough. True. Daniel Cormier returns to heavyweight after John Jones. I will say false. Diaz versus McGregor rematch in 2017. Oh, 2017. 
Hmm. I'll say true. That might be fun. McGregor faces Edgar at 200. I'll say true. McGregor faces Aldo at 200. I'll say obviously false. Tyrone Woodley gets title shot before Carlos Condit rematch. I don't know. Roy McDonald is victorious against Stephen Thompson. I don't, but that's a tough one to call, man. Free agent Roy McDonald signs with Bellator in 2016. I also don't think so. Undefeated Dada 5000 fights in Bellator again. No chance. UFC purchases... Undefeated was in quotes. UFC purchased Bellator by 2020. False. Jeff Wagenheim is right. Nate Diaz tests positive for marijuana metabolites. I will say false out of wishful thinking. Uh, Luke, will you be watching and cheering on Paige Van Zant on Dancing with the Nubs? Or is that show only a show Donks Watch? Well, let me just say something about Dancing with the Stars. I don't know if you guys pay attention to the ratings. They do like 14 million viewers every week. 14 million. What? Think about that. That I mean, that's like, <laughs> if a UFC event did 14 million and Paige Van Zant was on it, you'd be like, holy Jesus, these people are about to blow up. And this is different than, than the Liddell one. Liddell was on when his career was over, and he only made it like a month in. It didn't really matter. Like, there was no way to measure what benefit he got from it. Paige Van Zandt's going to do this and then go right back to fighting. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you. Like, that could be a big deal for her. I completely understand why she's doing that. Now, she's going to have to make sure that the fighting doesn't too far, too fall, uh, her fighting doesn't fall off. You know, she has a lot of technical growth to, to really push through, but... Bro, there's going to be a ton of people watching her, and she can dance. We obviously know she's very attractive. If she hangs on for like, you know, can you imagine if she makes it to the finale or wins the show? It would be huge. It would be absolutely huge for her. So I completely understand why she's doing that. And I saw the odds change today. Did you see the odds when they first came out? She was like middle bottom of the pack. They had like Geraldo beating her. They had Misha Barton as the same uh, odds to win it, 10 to 1. It's like Misha Barton looks like a malnourished vegan in Portland. She's going to beat this athlete who has a background in dancing. Are you out of your mind? Patreon Zan's going to smoke these fools. So it sounds like I, I said I'm not going to watch. Now it sounds like I might. I might just go watch. How about that? What do you think about that? I might go watch now. I've actually never seen Dancing with the Stars. I've seen Chuck Liddell's clips, but uh, I've never seen it. Yeah, man. If she if she goes far on that show or she wins it, look out. Uh, all right, Hunt versus Mir. Can you give us a quick breakdown and prediction for this fight? I don't like Mir's chances too much in this one. We obviously know if he can get it to the ground, he's got a good shot. Um, if he can bully... It, it, okay. If Hunt can keep his back off the fence, he's got a good chance. Uh, I think we can all say his sprawl is massively improved. It's a one-way sprawl, but I don't know that Mir at this point in his career has the ability to push through a takedown and change directions or change takedowns while he changes directions. The old St. Pierre special. But um, but I generally favor Hunt in this one. Generally. Uh by the way, just as a side note, I have tried to do technique talks with Frank Mir, and uh, he doesn't seem very interested, which is a shame because I think Frank Mir has a lot of interesting ideas. And every time he shares his ideas on technique, I'm always like, 
for this, but you know, can't make him do it. Doesn't want to do it. Uh, what's next for Dillashaw? Possible fight against Sterling, Asun Sao, or McDonald. Any of those would work. What do you make of Faber's claims that Dillashaw looking smaller in his fight against Cruz? No, I don't find any. You can argue that Dillashaw won the fight for crying out loud. Someone says Dillashaw versus Aljo for number one contender. Uh, I'd be more than okay with that. Someone says Sterling versus oh, then Chris here says uh, Sterling versus Aston Sal should be made for 198. If not, then do TJ versus Aston Sal and then Sterling versus Mayday. I like both of those. Someone says, uh, oh, um, someone's asking about the Bellator 125 division with women. And people already know uh, Anastasia Yankova. I interviewed her at Bellator 149. Let me just tell you that the Bellator folks showed me a bunch of people they've already signed that they haven't announced or they're about to sign. The Bellator 125 division is going to look like a modeling agency's portfolio. Like, it, it is, they didn't say this. This is just my read on it. It looks quite apparent that their strategy is we're going to get women who can fight at least a little bit, and we're definitely going to get women who are physically attractive. I was looking at these. They were showing me pictures of them, and I was like, like, Yankova is merely the tip of the iceberg. There's lots more coming. Trust me. Let's see. Take a sip of this Wauda. Do you guys see DC is going to get its own uh, arena football league team? I swear to God, if they come up with some stupid ass name like the Washington, you know, uh, well, they are taking nationals, which I thought was a stupid name. Uh, capitals I can live with, but I don't know. The monuments, meh, I will, I will wish for the, all of their, the entire team's demise in a fiery bus crash. Bus crash. Can we please look at the names of the teams in this city? Nationals is like, eh, kind of thumbs down. Capitals are a good team, so I'm rooting for them. It's fine. We've had them for around. I don't think it, like, it doesn't offend me in that way, but it's not, it's not an awesome name. And then you've got the Redskins, which is just straight-up racist, okay? And you got the Wizards. The wi- Could there be a worse name in professional sports than the Washington mother-effing Wizards? It's the word. They should just be called the World Series of Basketball. That should be their name, like the World Series of Basketball, the D- the D- DC World Series of Basketball. It's a, t- it's a terrible name. It's a terrible name. So even if it's an arena league team, can we please have a team whose name doesn't suck? Can we get like the Silverbacks or something? Please. RDA at welterweight. Uh, Dosan just recently expressed interest in fighting Lawler if the UFC allows it. I think that these guys, look, here's what I'm going to say about jumping weight. Um, obviously much harder to do than McGregor had originally had conceived of, but if you're, if you're, okay, let's say you're Edgar, all right, you're at your Frank Edgar right now and the UFC comes to you and says, look, we're going to do the Aldo rematch. We're not going to give you the fight now. Your first reaction is probably going to be you're livid, you know. But my second reaction would be, okay, you don't want to give me the fight. How about this? How about you give me the 135-pound winner of Cruz versus Faber? Or you get going to get a title shot against RDA, something like that, right? You don't want to give me that? Fine. Let me jump a weight class and see if I can't 
change the calculation for things. Um, because at lightweight, it's not exactly clear who's going to be the top contender there. I guess I guess Nate Diaz. We'll see what what happens there. Uh, at featherweight, there's a bit of a queue. He's already in, and he he should get it. I'm just saying, if he doesn't, and and uh, I guess the point is, if you can move around weight classes to increase your chances of bigger money or a bigger fight. I'm not saying in every case it's advisable, but I'm also not saying it's something you shouldn't consider. There's a lot more to be weight class jump friendly. And it's usually for guys who are not champions. Although Anderson Silva obviously shows that's not entirely true, but I just think there's a value. When you can make interesting matchups with people in two divisions, you just become generally a much more intriguing figure. Um, your absence at lightweight, if you compete at welterweight, means we can go back to lightweight and things are fresh again for a while and vice versa. It really just makes things a lot more interesting as a picture. I don't think the RDA will get that welterweight title fight. There's a queue, it seems like, at welterweight, right? Um, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for him to, to jump it, maybe. But if I'm him, I don't. I, I, I appreciate the way he's thinking. Um, I'll, I'll wreck this. Uh, who was the, talking about the, uh, 2016 sports illustrated media roundtable that I was a part of Ariel was on it. Uh, Dave Meltzer was on it. Other guys as well. Um, who's the one person in the MMA industry that you would like to have a sit down interview with that you have never interacted with in the past? Well, I've interviewed Frank Mir in the past, but I'd like to have an interview again for a technique talk. So someone please tell Frank Mir that what's the one question you would love to ask the Fertitta brothers that you have, that you think gets overlooked. Same one I put in the, uh, SI media roundtable. Um, I understand it's a leverage world. I understand why the fighters uh, have to sign away their likeness rights. But uh, in an age where there is an inordinate amount of scrutiny around NCAA athletes and their uh, compensation, particularly as it relates to their likeness rights being used in video games, it is very, very uh, unclear to me what what the public justification for that would be. I understand what the private one would be, which is that we're in a position of power to, to exercise this and we're going to. Um, okay, fine. That's the world we live in. I get it. But I would like to hear that intellectually defended that, no, me as CEO, here's why the fighters don't deserve to get a penny off us taking their rights in perpetuity. That 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 would be that should be defended publicly in some capacity. I would, I would like to hear what, what, what the argument is. Uh, and then three, who's an MMA journalist that you would have really liked to have seen participate in the roundtable? Oh, I don't know. Um, they got some good ones. Gross, Ioli, Sidney Jones. Fang, um, who's another good one? It's been on the road a lot. Um, and there's lots of good ones, man. They, all our guys here at MMA Fighting, Doyle and Sean, and um, some of the guys at the other sites, Tommy Myers, Nate Wilcox. All these guys have interesting things to say. That's been in the game a long time. I usually have a lot of interesting things to say. Uh, let's see. Let's keep moving this down a little bit. Do you think there's any chance that McGregor will branch out and get better sparring partners? He openly stated he would never do it, and he even called RDA a traitor for going to the USA for better training. Yeah, that kind of blew up in his face a little bit, didn't it? I don't mean to be dramatic after one loss, but it's an important issue. Personally, I think he'll stay in Ireland, and years down the road, we will wonder what could have been. Uh, that's a little bit dramatic for me. I think, look, the issue is this. We've talked about it before. What makes the best camps? Okay, the coaches who can do this and the coaches who can do that. John Cavanaugh has already proved himself to be a very capable coach. 
and a very capable mentor in addition to that. But the other issue that goes into that is the recruitment. I know that the Irish, I've talked to Irish journalists, they seem very high on the next crop of uh, guys coming out of that gym in Ireland generally. I don't share that enthusiasm. Not to say I'm, I, I am skeptical per se, I am much more neutral about it. Um, beating guys on regional MMA cards in Europe, that does mean a lot. I'm not saying it doesn't. Uh, but until you've hit the buzzsaw of American wrestling, there is really a huge and open question about it. It's just how it's always going to be, So, um, among other reasons. So for me, it's about recruitment. What can they do for recruitment? And they've got Amir Khani there. Um, we'll see what else they can, who that, who else and what else they can bring in. To me, it's not so much about McGregor leaving. It's much more about what can they do to supplement our um Straight Blast Gym, and I think that will tell us a lot. Does he just keep training with the same guys? You know, look, I think before the fight, it's not that I didn't take it seriously, but I guess I didn't take it seriously enough. You know, Nate Diaz was like, who are your sporting partners? And you look at Nate Diaz's sporting partners, wow, they're, it's really no joke, huh? Joe Schilling, Crone Gracie, his own brother, um, and the list goes on from there. Um, that that made a difference in the end, didn't it? Made a real big difference. So, um, yeah, I think that's an issue he needs to address. Um, these guys, I'm not, I'm not saying he needs to go to a big camp where he's sparring with the best all the time. I think that's the best idea either. Clearly McGregor is going to thrive in an environment he has some control over and some familiarity with, but some of that needs to be disrupted too with, um, different looks, different challenges, different skill sets. Um, you, you, if you roll with Gunny Nelson all the time, Gunny Nelson's tremendous, but he's tremendous in his own way. Right. I mean, you can say, oh, before the fight between Nelson and Maya, who's tremendous? Both guys are tremendous in their own way. Oop, here we go. Sorry about that. It's also, Jesus. Hang on. There we are. Sorry about that. It's also true that Maya is more tremendous, um, and you need those different looks. Gordy McDonald. After McDonald's last fight, I recall you saying he deserved at least a million dollars for his efforts. Given his latest revelations about his contract, it seems that his post-fight bonus was probably closer to a case of Zions, a couple X-Large Reebok shirts, and a $50 gift card to, <laughs> to Whole Foods instead of the million-dollar check that he rightly deserved. At this point, can we finally stop giving the UFC public credit for fictitious private payouts? I've been saying it for, for literally years. You want to brag about how much your fighters make? then tell us what they make. You don't get credit for things you purposely conceal. That's it. I'm not going to get up here and praise people for getting paid a ton of money um, when I have no evidence that they got paid that. And I want to point this, and I'm glad you bring this up. I'm glad you bring this up because there were a bunch of you, a bunch of you who challenged me when I said that he should have gotten a million. I cannot tell you, go back to that comment thread. There were some of you being like, I am... I am sure the UFC wrote him a big check. Are you? Are you now? Hmm, that's interesting. How do you feel about that now? Because it seems to me like your boy McDonald is bitter. Super bitter. Very, very not happy about the state of his pay. So you tell me what the right answer was there. You get credit for what is public. Period. Period. You want to pay private, then you get private thank yous. And that's awesome. Nice job. Um, they are concealing the amount of money that they make so the other guys don't know, so they have less leverage. And now more of this is coming out, although not enough of it. There's still so much information. Here's the truth about what Bellator's offering. I wish they would make it public. I know they're not going to because they're, they're, they're promoters too, you know. Let's not forget that. 
Um, but it would be really helpful if we could see what the offers were. So we can begin to piece this all together. Um, and I encourage fighters to do that to the extent that they can. But, you know, this idea of, well, like, I'm sure, I'm sure these promoters must have taken care of them. If it is not in your contract, chances are you're not going to get it. That's it. That's it. Guaranteed money is the only money on that limit. Guaranteed money is really what matters in the sport. What is your guaranteed money? That's the truly what you can rely on because it's guaranteed. Any other bonus you might get, 50K here, that's, I'm, it's well-intentioned and it's great, but, but Roy McDonald should have been – Roy McDonald should have been a millionaire if he wasn't after that fight. It's one of the greatest fights I've ever seen in my life. And he's getting paid – you know, he's getting paid, and there's nothing wrong with being an electrician. Actually, it's a pretty noble, well-paying job. But he's, you know, one of the best fighters in the on the earth. It's such a specialized, rare skill set that can't be duplicated only in the most extreme circumstances. And he's not getting paid like that. So just as a reminder to everyone who's like, of course the UFC is going to send him a big check. I mean, they, in some cases, I'm sure they have. I'm not saying they'd never do it. But it's pretty clear to me that there is palpable. It's not that people don't like the UFC who, who are the fighters. It is pretty clear that there is palpable dislike about the amount of money they are making. And not just in a general way like, oh, you don't make as much as you like. I, actually, I'm pretty satisfied with the amount of money that I make. I do all right. I don't need any more. So this idea that like everyone feels that way in a general way. I mean, sure, would I like to make more? Of course. But I'm not, I don't feel cheated in the amount of money I make. I do all right. But it is clear that UFC fighters, a lot of them, particularly the upper tier ones that really put on shows, they don't feel like they're getting what they're worth. And that is translating into, I don't think free agency is a roaring fire, but it has, or I should say roaring blaze, but the idea is catching fire. You know, so for everyone who who was like, of course, of course, everyone's going to be taken care of after this. No, you get credit for what is public. That's it. You don't get credit for things that are not public. Why do you think the UFC's valuation of Rory is so low, even by their own frugal standards? I, I don't know that they value him so low in as much as maybe he never properly negotiated for more. I remember a lot of these guys, when they start out their careers, they're very much on this track of, I'll be a company man. I'm going to help out. And I understand that. Like, you don't want to make waves. You want to you be pleasant. You want to get in there. You want to win. And you want to say, look, I, I can, let's be partners. I can work together. You know, uh, and for some guys, it works out. You know, it does. It's, it's not true that that doesn't work for everybody. It's just true that that, doesn't, that only works for really a select few. The, the, the promotion doesn't have the capacity to be like super friendly, awesome with everyone. It doesn't work that way. They have to be leveraged into it. And that's not true. That's not just true with UFC. It's true with any of your employers, guys. Like so many of you, you guys know this. So many of your employers, you have to go. And if you, and if you want certain things, you have to demand it. How many, how many people do you know in your life? They don't like the job they're at currently, but there's a lot of benefits to being there. So they go and they get an, an offer from somewhere else and they bring it back and then that they get a new offer. But absent that new offer, they would never get it. This is how the world works generally in MMA or any place else. All these things of you you get paid, let's just say, 50K a year. You get paid. That's what you get. No, that's what that's what you're telling me. 
It's not some fixed law, uh, except for the, maybe the military or something like that. But you get the idea. Like if you work in private enterprise, all of this is negotiable to a certain extent anyway. Um, it's just playing out for the first time in MMA. Uh, but I don't know that they don't value him. Uh, I just don't know that McDonald has ever properly negotiated beyond beyond what he's doing now. This, to me, seems like the first time he's saying, okay, I'm going to find out what I'm worth. I'm going to negotiate. I'm going to use leverage against you for me. Okay, let's see what he gets. I don't think he'll get 500 k but I could be wrong. I hope he does. I've got it. He should. But we'll see what he gets, you know? It should be interesting to see what he gets. Would Rory leaving the UFC... Would, would, excuse me. Would Rory leaving hit the UFC harder than any other free agent who has left so far? Yes. Let me look up something here real quickly about old Rory McDizzy. Yeah, McD- Jesus, he's young. Rory McDonald is 26 years old. It is it is one thing. So, for example, I was watching the World Series of Fighting card the other night. There was four fights on the main card. The first three, so the first six fighters, were all over the age of 30. They didn't have a single fighter in their 20s there. Now, that's a World Series of Fighting, but the point being is it's one thing for Bellator to be signing Benson Henderson and Matt Mitrione, who basically have fought most of the permutations that they can have around their current contemporaries. And they're in their 30s at this point. Folks are like, I understand if you want to get paid. I've seen most of the, most, not all, but I've seen most of the fights I want to see in UFC. Here's a fresh start. It'll be cool. It'll be fun. It'll be different. It'll be interesting. And hey, I like you, elder statesman. I hope you get paid. That's very different than someone at 26 years of age saying, you know what? I am done with this. In Not even in his prime yet, if he can preserve his health. Not even in his prime yet, saying, I'm going to go get paid. That would be much, much different. And even that wouldn't be the end of the world for UFC by any stretch of the imagination. And I don't think he'll walk. I think the UFC will end up paying him something. But but yeah, that is that is that that would be that would be a major signing for Scott Coker. No doubt about it. Bigger than anyone else they've had um, from UFC, for sure. Uh, it's 2.15, so let's go to the Twitter machine if we can. Use the hashtag chat rappers, and I'll answer your questions. Uh, let's see. Do you envision a world where St. Pierre and McDonald both go to Bellator? I cannot envision a world like that, no. What would be your UFC 200 main card? Quit asking that. Mayhem arrested for vandalism. Golly. He's just got he's just got some problems, y'all. I don't know what else to say. I'm not gonna I mean, he needs help. Also the new Redskin Stadium. I don't know. I don't mind it so much, except for the moat. The moat around it. I mean, can you imagine how many donks are going to drown in that? And or how much mosquito larva is just going to swim in that moat? True, false. We are all underestimating Wyman's chances against Rockhold. I mean, maybe, maybe. Uh, if I could be much different the second time, I'm not saying that. Again, I am not declaring in any objective way Wyman will lose. What I am saying is, I just don't like the timing. And frankly, if he was given a year and a half, I might even go back to picking Wyman again. I just don't like the timing. That's all. Uh, we think of the talk of Bilal Makov will trans will transition over to MMA after his Olympics, and how will he do? We'll see. I'm done with these Olympians being like this guy will be awesome. We'll see. Uh, I'm finally making time to enroll in BJJ school in my area. Is it better to start training in the gi or no gi? 
I don't care what anyone else tells you. Train in the gi. Train mostly in the gi. Do not, do not be one of those guys who starts jujitsu no gi. You will find out after four years, I should have started in the gi. I know plenty of people who have done way more in jujitsu will disagree with me. You're asking me for my opinion, and I'm giving it to you. Train in the gi. Someone says, uh, waking up with headaches could be sleep apnea. I am not putting on a CPAP machine. I'd rather just die in my sleep. Why are people underestimating DC so much? Daniel Cormier. Hasn't he gotten better in fights at much higher pace than before? Um, I would say people are underestimating in the sense that if you go back and you watch the first fight, they alternate rounds, and then the fifth round is kind of whatever. There's this impression that Jones went out there and kicked his ass, which is not true. Jones won. I mean, fairly, he won. But it's not. it wasn't some runaway beat down it's amazing that people are like more down on dc's chances and higher on rock holds and or should be higher on wideman's and wideman got a beat down and dc didn't so that's kind of weird luke zingano said she has good news soon who do you think she'll fight next oh um maybe nunez again in a rematch maybe juliana pena a big fight like that it's amazing to me you have this like rousey Tate home tier, and then Zingano, um, Pena, Nunez tier. It's like women's bantamweight has never been more interesting, yet there's Darren Rovell out there. This was a horrible night for UFC. No, it's a horrible night for you because you're a dum-dum. Uh, what makes Gaethje's and Maurice's, Maurice's leg kicks effective? Torque, timing, competition level? I'm not really sure. You know, some guys have a big hard punch. Maybe they have a big hard kick. Hard to say. What do you think will be the most competitive fight on the UFC 197 main card? Good question. Let me look at the UFC 197 main card, and I will tell you. Let's see. That's the Cormier Jones 2 card. All right, so the main card, you have Cormier Jones. Then you have Benavidez versus, excuse me, then you have Johnson versus Cejudo. Then you have Pettis versus Barboza. That should be fun. Whitaker versus Natal, and then Yair Rodriguez versus Andre Feely. I'm going to go with Pettis Barboza. That is a very much make or break fight for Anthony Pettis. Barboza less so, but it's a big one for him too. So let's go uh, that one to me. Um, let's see. A soccer related question Do you follow the German Bundesliga? And if so, any favorite teams? I follow them only in headlines. I guess I would pick Borussia Dortmund. I like their style of play. Um, and they've got, I think, one American and one Colombian on there. Borussia Dortmund is the one that has the 17-year-old. There's a kid on the Borussia Dortmund team, by the way. And, and this goes for all people, even if you're not a soccer fan. Yes, it's soccer. You don't have, you don't have any Europeans tweet me being like, it's not soccer, it's football. Here's news for you, okay? We're never going to call it football. So I don't know why you think that you're correcting us. A, there's a perfect centuries-old lineage to the word. Number two, we're not ever going to call it anything other than soccer you can call it football and that's fine i might even agree with you football is a better word for it we're always one more time ready follow me here we are always going to call it soccer do you understand that please stop tweeting me that i should call it football we are always going to call it soccer now, with that out of the way, check out their squad list. They got some 17-year-old American kid on there. 
who's actually made time with the senior team. Christian uh, Pulisic. He's actually got, I think his grandfather is Croatian, but he's an American kid. Um, he plays for them. Sometimes, I think mostly with the junior team, but he actually like, played half a, half a game with um, the senior squad. Look out for that kid. It's kind of size for that. Uh, let's see. Free agency. Is the UFC's Reebok deal the best thing to ever happen to Bellator? Certainly helps them in free agency. I don't know if it's the best thing ever happened to Bellator, but it is a uh, clear edge in the bargaining chip. Seeing how much extra muscle affected Connor's cardio, do you see problems for Jones with extra muscle? No. There's been a lot of conjecture and strategic plays building up to forming UFC 200. Was this the same for 100? Um, 100, you'll, you'll, what you'll hear is that the what I remember from that time, which was at first I don't think the UFC had thought too much of it, but then as the months began to get closer and closer to it, they realized, wow, people were expecting something big, so they wanted to deliver something big. But I don't think it ever had occurred to them, like, right off the break, UFC 100 has to be huge. They just decided that there was – they looked around and saw fans enthusiastic about the numbering and decided to act on it, which is smart. That's exactly what a good company should. If you don't – a good company is not going to have all the great ideas. Some of the great ideas are going to come from people around them. The key to a good company is, A, having your own good ideas, and then, B, listening to those from your consumers in particular. And that's what they did, and it was a huge hit. So it's very different in that sense uh, from UFC 200. Your colleague, uh, Errol Hawani, says GSP only wants fun fights. Does Silva versus GSP for 200 make the most sense? Can't go wrong with it. Can't go wrong with it. <laughs> uh, someone says you lost sound. Did I lose sound? Let's see. Did I lose sound? No, sound's here. All right, let's finish up some of these questions on the chat. Let's go through these as fast as we can. Uh, how many hardcore fans, would you, how many fans? I would say less than 300,000 in America anyway. Invicta pay. Luke, my jaw hit the floor when I read that Roxanne Mutaferi topped the Invicta 16 payout with just 13 grand. Cyborg was paid 100 grand. How can these Invicta fighters get paid so low? Let me just ask a really basic question. How is it you think Invicta makes a ton of money? Because they sell a bunch of tickets? Because they make money from TV rights? What? Where exactly do you think Invicta makes all their money from? Like, just think about the sources of revenue. From their sponsorship, they don't make hardly any money, so they don't pay out hardly any money. I had someone going to me like, Invicta's just being greedy. You think people who work for Invicta are rich? Like, Julie Kedzie and, and TJ DeSantis, I bet you don't make market rate for their jobs. And they take it because they love it, because they want to contribute. They want to do women's MMA the right way. That's that's the benefit there. I bet you Shannon Nab doesn't make nearly as much money as you think. Like if they're paying out that load, it's because they are making they are on thin financial ice. Very Walter Cormier, same one as before. Shout outs to James Glory. Oh, let's see, let's see, let's see. <laughs> Cruz versus Faber three. Sigh, must we? Isn't it obvious how this will go? Could there be any excitement at all to be having this fight? That's not the same. That's the same card. Was it the 198, 199 card? Which one is it? That it's the same card. I'll oh, forget it. It's the same one as uh, Rockhold and uh, Wyman are on. It's like ugh, we've seen these movies already, man. One of them we've seen twice. Look, <laughs> I'll forget. I'm not even going to say it, but yeah, I, I just don't. 
yeah, I don't get it. But all right, you got to make a card. You got to do what you got to do, I guess. Um, EBI six. Will MMA fighting be covering EBI six to the extent we have someone available to cover it? You know, it's not going to be a major priority, but we would like to. By the way, um, this weekend, uh, if you're an American, the March Madness tournament starts. The, and then also, if you're an American, and even if you're not, the March Madness tournament starts. The uh, NCAA Division One National Championship. So, folks who, are, I, for example, I get a question all the time. Hey, what does it mean to be Division One? Hey, what does it mean to be an All-American National Champion? This is your weekend to figure that out. Okay. So, the Division Three championships already happened. I'm not sure when Division Two already happened. This is Division One. This is your big boys. This is Penn State. This is Oklahoma State. This is Cornell. Right. These are your heavy hitters that are coming in to uh, to lay waste and take them some national titles. So. Um, you know, this is this is the time to figure all that out. We've talked about before the designation means, but you know, just pay attention to who's getting it and where they're getting it and all the brackets and everything else like that. This is this is your opportunity. Um, let's see. I was asking about Jessamine Duke, man. Did you guys see her over in Invicta? Wow. She is I don't know what to say about her. Look, here's the thing about Jessamine Duke. She got just blitzed and battered by um Irene, Irene Aldana. Um, I spoke to Shannon Knapp about it and her, her answer was we've never cut anyone before. Now people want to be cut. She said they would cut them. Um, and they would, and they, she said if, if Duke wanted to take some fights outside the organization, um, to, to rehabilitate that they would all, they would let her do that. She, she is now three and four, I believe in her professional career. And, um, she's got some problems, you know, here's the truth about it. If I were her and this is no way to make money, I don't know. I, I can't tell you what to do with your life. In terms of just getting better at skill development, I have seen guys do it if they're young enough. Now, how old is Jessamine Duke? She can't be that old, right? 29. That's tough. I don't know. Look, here's what I'm saying. There's been some people in this world who I've seen take a year or two off from fighting MMA, and they just they just train jiu-jitsu, and they go crazy in there, and they show up to every wrestling class, and then they go and they do they take, they'll take kickboxing fights, right? They just low level ones just wants to just to work just just work on their craft that's it that's all they do for two years and then they have a part-time job or they work in the gym or whatever but all they do is train and then two years later they revisit it they go back and they say okay now i want to go back and i want to fight and they're different people truly they're different people they've won gold medals at different tournaments they've gotten wins in in in, in uh, whatever they've just began to develop more and i just feel like if she keeps going the way she's going, like they're conf- we always if you watch soccer at all, they often talk about someone's confidence. They're, 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 they've lost confidence. They don't have the same form as they did last season. There is something to be said for that. If you don't have the ability to compete with the same ferocity and self-belief, um, not just in a general abstract way, but is my left going to land when it's supposed to? Is it going to land in the way that I that I want it to? Is my defense going to be there? That can be worked on with time. It just, but but. You know, 29, I don't, she's in, man, wow, that is a really tough spot to be in. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do for her, man. That's tough. Really tough. What's we got going on here? Uh, good question. Free agency versus unionizing. I'll probably end on this one. With the current state of free agency and fighters taking full advantage of it, which do you think is better for fighters, free agency or forming a union? There's not, there's going to be no, there's going to be no, um, nothing will be, will be better for them than unionizing or at least some kind of collective action, right? Let's just go ahead and establish that. In terms of get, you know, can, 
obtaining concessions from management. That's what you need. But let me say this. The funny thing about um, free agency is that these guys can opt in in a way where it looks like everyone's opting in together, uh, but they're really not. They're only opting in for themselves. They see other guys benefiting from it, and they want to opt in. Um, it has benefits mostly. I mean, not everyone's going to be a winner in free agency. I don't know if Algerman Sterling really truly benefited from it. Although I don't think that things got worse, but it's just interesting. People are like these guys will never collectively bargain and maybe they won't, maybe they won't ever get together, but it's interesting that they can get this perception of all opting into the system when really that's not what they're doing. They're taking the selfish route, but they don't have to like wait on anyone else's timing or interest or anything else. They can make it all about themselves. And they can benefit, and by doing that, they can then inspire those around them. It's a very selfish yet, uh, in, uh, it's a very selfish way to get what you want out of your needs, and yet give off the appearance of acting in the general interest, and and really, actually, you are acting in the general interest of everyone else. So it's kind of funny how again, it won't ever be the same as unionization. It's a very selfish act in a way that union unionization in some ways is not. Um, but it is kind of interesting that you can get guys to opt in to the idea of going to free agency much easier, even though it has many of the same benefits and uh, um, none of the same costs. Uh, actually, I suppose that's why they do it, right? All right. With that out of the way, um, hey, guys, we're on pod- – you can podcast with us, iTunes.com slash promotional malpractice. Leave me a nice review. Give this video a thumbs up. Share it. I really appreciate it. Um, if you guys have a segment you want me to edit out and then make a separate video, I'm going to do that every single week now. So give me your – Give me your suggestions at SBN Luke Thomas. I really appreciate it. Again, we're going to have lots of coverage this week for UFC Fight Night 85, Hunt versus Mir. And uh, in an hour and a half, I will be on Sirius XM. I'm going to have Ben Askren talking about the uh, National Wrestling Championships. Frankie Edgar is supposed to be there, knock on wood, and a whole lot more. Uh, Sirius XM 93, The Luke Thomas Show. Okay, I got to go. Until next time, thank you so much for watching. Stay frosty. <laughs>